Hey, this is the coach, Brendan Sir, with another Coaching You podcast, and I'm excited today. Our guest is Stan Heath. I love the G League. I love minor league basketball, and Stan has been an incredibly successful college coach for his entire career, and then this season had an opportunity to become the head coach of the new Lakeland Magic G League team. He lives in Tampa, Florida from when he coached at the University of South Florida. And so it was an opportunity for him to, you know, come home from Boston College where he was helping our friend Jim Christian. But now, you know, being about 30 minutes from home where his family still has their ties and uh, base. Uh, So he is just going to tell you about his experience this season uh, with the G League, his idea of NBA rules versus college rules. And I think you'll hear him talk about, you know, some of the biggest influential people in his career, especially uh, our friend Tom Izzo at Michigan State, who he was an assistant for, and then his first college job at Kent State University trying to work with this and recruit this fabulous kid by the name of Antonio Gates. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's a fun ride as we go through, but you're going to really enjoy when we get back from our break. Stan Heath. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. It's so much fun when I'm able to get as a guest on our shows uh, to have a conversation on coaching with someone that I've had so much, you know, background with for nearly 30 years and Stan Heath and Stan uh, welcome to the podcast first off well coach thanks for having me on and I'm, I'm excited to uh, spend some time and, and have a little basketball conversations with you well you know I you know the best uh, Stan is now the head coach of the G League franchise for the Orlando Magic at the Lakeland is it the Lakeland Magic it's the Lakeland Magic right That's correct. and uh, you know so uh, most recently, Stan was the coach at, when he was at University of South Florida as the head coach. I was at UCF, and uh, so we got to see each other. But we go all the way back to Michigan go State days when That's I was right. with the Pistons. And, uh, That's right. It's so much fun, uh, you know, and I, I told you when I coached in the CBA, uh, actually when I was coaching the Grand Rapids team in the CBA, Tom Izzo was just kind of becoming a head coach at Michigan State. And on my drives from Rochester Hills to Grand Rapids, I would always get Tom on the phone almost weekly, and we would talk basketball. And that made my two-and-a-half-hour drive go very quickly and stuff. But my experience, my two years of being in the CBA, were that it was the most fun I almost ever had coaching. How's it been for you? Yeah. Well, hey, I... 
I would agree with you. I, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. I didn't, you know, you don't never know what you're getting into right. when you're, you're changing jobs and not only changing jobs, but you're changing and you're going, you know, to another level, you know, and a, and a, and a little bit of a different game. Um, and something that you really haven't totally done, but I think we all have, I think most coaches, you know, we all have this curiosity about professional basketball and, and I have that. I mean, I'm, I'm proudly to admit that I do. And, uh, you know, once I got involved with it and, you know, just spending that time in training camp, uh, Frank, Coach Vogel, Frank Vogel with the uh, Orlando Magic was very kind to allow me to be in his meetings and be in the practices and watch and the players were so friendly and, I think that just opened my eyes to a lot of things. And from there, from day one, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store, just, you know, seeing what they were doing, learning different things, growing in different ways. And the excitement has just continued, just working with the guys I have on my team and uh, going through the league. And, you know, the league has its ups. It has some things that are that aren't easy to travel, some of those things, but it has some major pluses and I'm really enjoying myself. You know, one of the things that I think, um, you know, I think, Pro basketball and college basketball is a different sport. It is. You know, rules, particularly rules and yes. strategy yes. also. Yes. Uh, you know, how have, you know, and that, that was the key thing when I went from college coaching, you know, to the NBA. I didn't have a damn idea for over a year what the <laughs> hell was going on. Thank God it was with Yubi Brown and he was doing everything and I was just standing there not knowing what to do you know you know i but now you're the head coach of a team so you have to really learn quickly on the fly I, it was totally on the fly and there there is the game is so much faster that's the one thing that just kind of hits you in the face is the pace you know you have a shorter clock and um the talent level is is something you know all of a sudden you're looking around and you're saying man there's terrence jones or george yangs or you know, different guys that you're saying, you know, where these guys come from, yeah. you know, where they've been. And, and all of a sudden you're playing against them and, and there's a strong, high level of talent. Uh, and, and as you say, you know, the rules are different. You know, there's the defensive three, you know, we call it two nine. You're going to be in the lane 2.9 seconds. You got to get out. And, um, you know, just the, the ability to use forearms and hands in different spots when you can, when you can. And, uh, it's just the game is, is the game is called differently. The players. You, you got to give them that freedom. The spacing on the floors is so different and, and making sure that you have good spacing as well as being able to defend the pick and roll and, and, the, and the durable handoffs. I mean, those things are just happening and happening. And, you know, the game is evolving, you know, at, before our very eyes, I think we're seeing how the game is going more positionless and, um, you know, within my own team, uh, because of the fluctuation of the roster of guys going up and down, we were, uh, one time, uh, probably had the best record in the league, and uh, Kim Birch, who was probably one of the yeah. most dominant players in our league, uh, Vukovic gets hurt for the Magic, and all of a sudden they call him up, and uh, all of a sudden our, our team just changed. We went from a guy who can protect the rim, that can uh, you know score around the basket, who rebounds, best rebounder in the league, to all of a sudden we don't have the same presence inside, and we become a, a three-point shooting team. So it's right before your eyes, because of, how your roster changes, your team changes. And um, then all of a sudden you have acquisitions. As a matter of fact, we just added, uh, he only played one game so far, Alan Anderson, who's a, a oh, veteran yeah. NBA player. Great friend, so, uh, yeah, a former great. player so, of yours, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to, you know, as this season continues, uh, it's, it's still evolving. Uh, and uh, I can see us playing more five guards and 
uh, you know, playing another different brand of basketball. I'll tell Alan when you see him that I recommend him as a foreman for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but, I sure will, Coach. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I remember one night uh, years ago, and remember the great Daryl Dawkins, he Absolutely. somehow got out of the NBA, and he's playing on Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, Mo McCone, who's, you know, a legendary figure in minor league basketball, is, is the coach at the team. And I go in there with my Grand Rapids team, and I don't have a center my guys mm-hmm. hurt and so I end up going with five guards and mm-hmm. old Ray Jackson Fab Five Conzo Martin the coach of Missouri there you go. they're out there Melvin Booker Devin Booker's daddy uh, <laughs> you know these guys are out there and what we did, we just took whoever Daryl Dawkins was guard, we put him in one four, and <laughs> and he was out of the game in about ten minutes, and he was, and I, and I, he was so pissed at me, you know, and and but you know what, that you know that was the fun part of basketball, that's you know, right. and that that's right. strategy wise in that league, you know, um, you know, how about the uh, the rule of just eight seconds to get the ball over the timeline? You know, um, it's only caught us one time, and. Uh, you know, I have, I have actually have a, I have a really young team. I probably have one of the youngest teams. And uh-huh. Troy, Troy, Troy Copaney was a starting point guard for Cincinnati who had tremendous success there. And, uh, he's in his first year with us. Rodney Purvis in his first year with yeah. us as well, too, from UConn and, and, uh, Jamal Artis in his first year with, uh, Pitt. And those two guys, those three guys have kind of been the, kind of the core group. And, and Jamal being a two-way player, uh, with the Orlando Magic, the other two being, uh, what we call affiliate players. So, um, with that youth, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, Troy and yeah, I mean, you know, Cincinnati's a great program, but they've, they've had this rep of being a team that just grinds you out and yes. great defensively, but they don't necessarily play with enormous, you know, the, the pace, pace as we call pace, it now, pace, as we call yeah. it. So the pace of just kind of pushing, and that was kind of the early stages of, Hey, Troy, we got to get that ball up the court. We got, so all of a sudden, you know, a team puts a little token pressure on you and they're trying to zigzag you and he's taking this time. All of a sudden you get that call and you're like, that's the call. You got to get it across. And plus with only 24 seconds, um, if you take eight seconds in the backcourt, you're not going to have a lot of time in the, uh, you know, in the front court to, to do what you want to do. So, uh, yeah, just getting used to those things there was unique. Now, as a longtime college coach and a hell of a one, uh, now now <laughs> I, I try to get my college coaching friends to say every one of your players, if you're at a good program, wants to be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was actually a Tom Izzo idea, that every one of our players wants that's good wants to be in the NBA. So mm-hmm. why don't we make our college game rules like the NBA so we really do prepare them? And... Sounds logical to me, right? And and you know, yes. and so, you know, why don't we shorten the clock? Why don't we, you know, use the eight second like we do in FIBA? Uh, you know, and so we're the only college men's basketball is the only yeah. basketball league in the world that does not play four quarters. Uh yes, yeah, true. That's true. How about that? Uh, you know, it's and when you're in it, and I was just in college basketball last year. I was uh, working actually with a good friend of mine, Jim Christian, at Boston College, and. Uh, so I spent all my life in college and, mm-hmm. um, I would, you know, when you're in it and you see, you know, there's excitement, the stands are filled and people like the game and, uh, the final four and the NCAA tournament is one of the best events going. Uh, it's hard to fight change, but when you kind of get into the other side of it and you see, um, you know, just kind of how the game, the scoring goes up and that's, and that's been a big argument anyway of trying to get the scoring up. Well, that's a good way is get that shot clock a little, a little shorter so you get more possessions in the game and uh, open up that lane so people can't uh, just 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 pack it in and 
Uh, and all of a sudden now it's a wide open game and, and all of a sudden it does change. And I, and I do think it would be uh, something that's more exciting. But as you mentioned, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not just, you know, it's college basketball and the education piece is huge, but there's also this, um, you know, let's, let's try to keep, you know, all the games, international college, high school, um, you know, somewhat in the same um, sphere of how everybody plays, including I've always thought high school should have a shot clock. I, I do too. Really should. And sure. I think a lot of teams or states have gone to that, but that should just be universal for the growth of uh, the younger players. What about the 16-foot lane as opposed to the college 12-foot? How have you enjoyed that? Well, it does make it tougher. Um, you know, free throw box outs aren't as easy as they used to be. There, When teams really go after that, that's a little harder. But the expanded lane, more than anything, um, of, of, of having it wider, yeah. it really opens up the drive and kick game. Uh, it really opens up the pick and roll game where, um, you know, all of a sudden there's a hard roller and, if you don't get to that roller, it's, it, it opens up the weak side three. And, um, you know, I think of the biggest thing that happens that you see in pro uh, that you don't see, you see it in college, but not to the same degree, is the pass. The pass has become, um, uh, you know, you look at Golden State, you look at, you know, LeBron James, you look at, you know, all those things because of the lane. I think that's one of the main reasons why passing has come back to basketball. Mm, um, that's great. That's the first time the, I've heard the, it explained the, the, that way. I yeah, love well, that. I just, yeah, I just, I just see it that way because, you know, you just see it like the re, like the really good players, they see where the help is coming. They make the pass and now players have gotten to the point where they see, Hey, there's another rotation. I either close it out. I go after the close out or I make one more pass and, you see the ball moving a lot more. You don't see you see less in dribbling, especially at the initiation of what you're trying to do. So, I just think the pass has become, um, you know, so important. It's always been important, but I think more players have bought into the importance of being a good passer, including the big guys. You know, the big guys right now, the ones who are able to catch that pick and roll, the pocket pass, and then spray it out to the corners. That mm-hmm. guy's a valuable player. A lot of big guys don't see it, but more and more are starting to get that. That's a valuable play right there. And uh, a term that I, we only put into the league, I think, about two years ago at most, was like, especially in middle pick and rolls, when if you come out a little bit high above the three-point line, is what they're calling a short roll. In other words, catching exactly. the ball right mm-hmm. at the free throw line or one mm-hmm. step below and making that spray out pass, as you call exactly. it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and that was never part of basketball before, you know, and and, and basically they're just taking that guy as a relay person. And I think it's brilliant. I, you know, I've o- often said that the coaching in the NBA is uh, so incredible uh, because is. they have to do it uh, in such a short amount of time with so little practice time that the teaching right. is so right. efficient, I feel. I, I totally, totally agree with that. And, and I also credit players, too, their ability to grasp things on mm-hmm. film or a short walkthrough and then execute it right away. Because as you know, from game to game, you're playing against different teams that have different strengths. You do have to make little tweaks and adjustments into what you want to do offensively and defensively. And in a short amount of time, whether it's a 20-minute film session or it's mm-hmm. a 30-minute walkthrough, you know, you're asking those players to grasp that and execute it in a 48-minute game. And uh, I give those guys a lot of credit because, you know, the assistants and the coaches, we're spending a lot of time watching the film and we're trying to condense it in a manner where those guys can, can grasp it and do it. And they do it. And, and, the, and the really good ones, um, it's just amazing, like their ability to communicate and help their, some of the teammates that maybe don't grasp it quite as good, but they communicate to those guys on the floor 
and that allows you to be successful on both ends of the court. You know, uh, uh, simplicity, I think, is one of the key things in coaching at any level in any sport. Uh, but, you know, there's a there's a saying that I've used called uh, complexity is the enemy of execution. And so I think that, you know, by making trying to in college, I think we try to make things so damn complex and they're not. Right. And and so I think, you know, by keeping things simple, you know, I want every one of my players to get an A in the course I'm teaching, you know, that's right. You know, that's right. And so, you know, you, you have two things that I wanted to ask your opinion on Stan. One is, uh, you know, the college coaches that say we couldn't play, uh, you can't use a 24 second clock because they, players won't be able to attack a zone. Now you're, you're a lit eligible to play a zone uh nba teams are eligible to play zones but mm-hmm. why is there very little zone play well it's because of the the um the three sec defensive three second rule right um that 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 would force you to have the big guy if you're playing a two three zone you'd have to play at the free throw line he'd have to get in and out of that lane in 2.9 seconds sure. or he'd have to go to one side of the floor or the other and so because of the width of the lane and that, that big guy moving, the lane becomes more open. And then plus you're playing against guys that can get behind the zones and players that see the, 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 the passes over the, you know, over the top of the defense, as well as, you know, you have so many guys now that are making that, that three point shot, which is a further out. So now that defense is spread out. I, I do think that, um, you know, and, and, and so we've actually toyed with maybe a little bit more of a one, two, two zone. Yep. Um, because now you're not, you know, you're, you're guarding right outside of the lane. And I do think that's a defense that's that's available to play at this level. I just don't think you can make a living in it. <laughs> I just think the players are so good. No, uh, you know, pro- you know, probably yeah. not. And also, you know, the like Scott Drew his Baylor zone. You know that yeah, you know right. the one one, which is really a two three, but with the forwards up kind of high. Mm-hmm, I think really that high. also, you know, against all the teams that run middle pick and roll in the pros. I've often told pro coaches you should try that defense because now you'll have a guard switching on to the guard on the pick That's and true. roll. And when the center rolls, you just have your big pick you up. You have a guy right in And you have two Absolutely. guys. And, you know, I, just something to kind of think. Change no, I, I, I think it's something to use. I do think that, you know, when you put the ball at the elbow, like you say, you had mm-hmm. a, a really good player and you get that catch at the elbow – all of a sudden it forces whatever zone you're in to match up with you because that guy's in a position where he can see everywhere on the floor. He can play isolation at the elbow and he might have the matchup that gives him an advantage too. So there's, there's pros and cons both ways, but I do think it's a, it's a defense that's available. I just think at the end of the day, <laughs> it's going to be hard to stay in that defense. Uh, oh, no, really I, good players, I, good teams. And what I also tell coaches that, uh, when, when the NBA first legalized zone, uh, none of the pro coaches had a clue what the hell to do, true, right? And true. so they started to, you know, take input and put in college zone offenses. And you know what? They couldn't score. They right, couldn't score. Right. And so then all of a sudden, a couple of guys said, you know what, we're just going to run our man offense. And then that's over then. That, that's right. And, and I think you, you said it earlier. It's amazing because, you know, I, I see the game differently now. And, I, when you keep it real simple, uh, it's amazing how the players can just kind of read and react to what's going on on the floor instead of trying to necessarily run an offense, just put the players in the, in the spots they need to be to so they can see where people are and make plays and reads. Stan, a last one on the on this question for you. 
my, my I saw it the other day, I believe. Yeah, I think it was in our friend, uh, two of my favorite college coaches, Tom Mezzo and Matt Painter. Okay, mm-hmm. buddies forever. Great game. And, Great game. <laughs> yeah, and what a game. And and so all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, Tom draws up a great play. Joke. Uh, Miles Bridges makes an incredible shot, not off of what Tom <laughs> asked him to run, right? But, you know, as yeah. what happens in the pros, players oh. make plays. They make plays. And, and, they make plays. And, and therefore, I became a good coach, right? And so, right. yeah, right. and so all of a sudden, you know, he, he makes uh, a great shot. Now there's like, you know, you know, just a few seconds ago. Uh, maybe it was two nine or something, two seven. Okay, now I think this is the time where we put dumbass on the the name stamped on every college coach because there are no good plays to go full oh, court yeah. in yeah. college no, basketball. Oh my God. And so I don't care if it's Coach K, Tom, Matt Painter, yeah. uh, Dean Smith. Bring them all back. Wouldn't uh, you know? Yeah. It, 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 but isn't it wonderful to be able to oh, advance the ball um, to the front court? It, it, and now it let's play. Unbelievable. That that advance, it, it just it's a no brainer. It is a no brainer to not you know, just for the the excitement of the game, yeah. the ability to to really um allow your players to have a chance both ways. A chance. And, and it's, it. it's it's just just a chance. And um, you know, if if all of a sudden you get to advance it to the sideline, you know, in front of the bench or the opposite side, but that same area, that hash mark. And you have 2.9. That's an eternity. Like you can, you can get a good shot and it puts stress on the defense to make some good plays, some switches and reads or whatever you're going to do with that. But it's a no brainer, coach. I mean, it's, it is. And I tell you what, in our, in our league, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA goes to this. They actually give us one more timeout. They I call love it a reset, a reset timeout. I and love that. The reset timeout means you can't talk to your team. And it keeps the game flowing so you don't get stoppage because, you know, sometimes it's like it's too much timeout, too many timeouts, too much stoppage. And so it really kind of puts the coach and the team and, and, you know, back to, hey, guys, when we're in practice, we're in shoot around, like, hey, this is our reset place. We're not calling it out. We can't talk to you about it. You guys are going to get to the other side and you're going to, we're going to advance it. And you guys got to be able to execute this play that we drew up, you know, four hours ago and shoot around or eight Mm -hmm. or seven hours ago, whatever it may be. And I think that's a, that's a, a fun part of the game that uh, college should definitely go to. And as I love to say in our Coaching You clinics, I said, it's amazing how the women's game has figured this out, but they the have, men's game has it. And the women's coaches love it. You know, yeah, they have. They do. You know, well, we all know women are a little smarter than men. We all know. <laughs> anyway, so. Your wife must be sitting there. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I mean, the, the four quarter things, I, I would I would imagine at some point in time that's, I don't know if that will or will not come to college because I think they, you know, that's that's been there. But um, four quarters is a good way to go too. And I think it uh, it gives you a natural break. And yeah. I think I think what it does for me more than anything, and I, I think you you could probably relate to this is, I think it helps with substitution patterns. Amen. I really do. Yes. I just I think it gives guys and you know especially at the professional level, but I think it's good for college too. When guys know when they're coming into the game, when they're coming out of the game, their minutes, they play better. Uh, they just have a better comfort zone of what they're doing out there on the court so i just think from that standpoint the substitution is is so much pure and cleaner that way and and my last idea for college basketball is that we need to go to six fouls Uh, yes yes yes, i mean three and three yeah i mean the object in college i think is to let kids play 
not yeah, not let them, let them play. play. Yeah. We want you know we want hey we you know you're playing Duke Marvin Bagley. We want to see him out there on the court. You know Amen. we want to see uh, you know all those superstars, uh, those young players that are that are good out there. Uh, Trey, just imagine if Trey Young got in foul trouble and you know someone went all the way over to um, you know whatever they're playing in West Virginia and, and, and he's in foul trouble. He doesn't even play the game. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I had keep been, those guys out there. I had Ben Simmons at LSU, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't tell you how many games we're playing on the road, and in the first two to five minutes, he's got two fouls. Right, and we got to sit him right. out the rest of the half, and he could not understand it and say, "Why are you doing that?" And you know, well, this guy's going to call your third in about a minute, you know, <laughs> and, and and you know, this way it takes the pressure off the referees and, and right. it allows the kid right. to play, and that's the right. biggest thing. And I, right. you know, so well, that is that is a great perspective from your standpoint. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. FastModel has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Now, let's go back in time to when okay. you started with Tom Izzo as his right. assistant. Talk about the experience of working with this guy, a Judd Heathcote disciple. <laughs> and one of the, I, I think, one of the, I mean, well, you explained Tom to us, you know, because he's a dear friend well, of mine. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a really good friend of mine, too, and he's yeah. done a lot. I mean, my career wouldn't be where it is without Tom Izzo, so I'm the first to let you know how much I appreciate him and, and thank him for all he's done for me. And, um, you know, I was, a, you know, just, just trying to climb the ladder and I, I went in division two, division three. And, uh, the job I had right before him, I actually worked for Jim Laranega at Bowling mm. Green and, um, actually coached his son, Jay Laranega, who's for, yep. for the Boston Celtics and Antonio Daniels was a 13 year old NBA, 13 year <laughs> NBA pro. So, that was kind of my first taste of some things. And then uh, Jim was very instrumental in talking with Tom. And I met with Tom. And I had seen Tom a lot because I, I was, you know, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And Tom used to come down all the time, recruit that area. And we would occasionally, I'd be recruiting, you know, the Division Two guy. I'd be recruiting, you know, Chris Weber over here, somebody like that. And, we, we, you know, and he was always kind enough to just, no matter who you were, he never big times you or, yeah. you know, he'd always, hey, how you doing and such and such. And, you know, next thing I know, I was invited to work their camps up there when, Judd, you know, Joe was actually still there. So I was working camps. So I got to know him there, too. And so it's just a really good guy that would, uh, you know, just sit down and talk to you no matter who you were. And um, so, you know, from there, when the job opened up, uh, Tom was actually in his second year 
Um, so uh, he had just got the job from Judd. He had coached one year. Uh, and Stan Joplin, who was an assistant, got the head coaching job at Toledo. And uh, Brian Gregory actually went with uh, Stan with uh, to Toledo, and it opened up two positions. So um, Tom Cream was there with, with Tom Izzo at that time, and um, myself and Mike Garland got hired in. So that was kind of where we, where we started. And at that time, you know, the, the, the program was, was, you know, we were NIT. We went to the NIT my first year. They went to the NIT before that. And um, that first year was Mateen Cleve's freshman year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had just come off of that. Uh, uh, I don't want to go way back in time, but they had that car incident with him in Tractor Trailer. And he Michigan, had a significant on a Michigan back injury. recruiting visit, that, right? Yeah, he had a significant back injury. So he wasn't quite and, the and, same yeah, guy as a freshman. And, and the assistant coach at Michigan on that was Scott Perry. With Scott the Perry. The GM of the Knicks. Who's, who's a good friend of mine. Actually, One of my, really well. he worked a good friend of mine. Yep. So, um, you know, so, so we ended up uh, just being an okay team. And the next year when Mateen got healthy, uh, man, things just start clicking. We won the big 10. We went to the sweet 16. We actually lost to, uh, uh, we lost to North Carolina and Greensboro <laughs> of all places, hmm. uh, uh, in the sweet 16. And the next year we went to the final four and the next year we won a national championship and the next year we went to the final four and things were just rolling, but to work with Tom. And I tell you what, what, what really was helpful working with a guy like him, um, is he, and I think it, you know, came from Judd. He's one of the first guys to admit it and probably from somewhere else, but he was a true teacher of the game. Like he taught the game, just taught, um, you know, all the different things that, you know, rebounding the basketball, uh, pushing pace and the fundamentals of shooting, the fundamentals of defense, the fundamentals of defending screens, whatever it may be, passing, shooting, and just having, you know, a team that, that bought into being tough, uh, bought into being disciplined. And there was just no room for, you know, if you, if you weren't that way, if you weren't tough, if you weren't a team guy, you, you stuck out, <laughs> you just stuck out. So, and, and, and the greatest thing I think he would do is he did a great job of teaching the younger guys how to be leaders like guys like Mateen Cleaves involved into a just a tremendous leaders and it just passed on from the next guy to the next guy the next guy and then all of a sudden you always have this culture of 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 team play and toughness and togetherness and where winning is first and not my individual accolades and all those different things so um it just created a great culture to be a part of and um it's always been something that I've tried to try to always remember the little things, the little detailed things that uh, I think are really important in coaching and working with young people. Tom's uh, greatest strength, um, g- give me a couple of them as, as a coach. Communication. Communication. Um, communication is, uh, and I, I say that in two ways. One, in practice, you have a guy that, that is, I mean, he's tough. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's on you. He's going to push you. He's going to bring out more than what you even think you have in you. Off the court, he's going to put his arm around you. He's going to bring you into his office. He might grab a hamburger with you. I mean, he's going to be a guy that you know at the end of the day, man, as tough as he is on me, the guy really cares about me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true. It's not fake. It's not phony. And I think that's why there's such a strong connection with him and his players. You know, throughout the years, I mean, we're not just talking about one or two years. This is a, you know, 20 some year career of being able to do it. And it's been so successful. Uh, so I would say that I'd say the toughness part uh, is, is something we all know as well, too. I mean, he's, his teams are tough. They're, they're going to, they're going to compete and battle every single night. And you know, sometimes your shots are falling, shots are not falling, but 
if you're going to play hard, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. And, and that's, I think that's the epitome of his team. Sometimes it's not going to be the prettiest game, but you're at the end, they're going to find a way to win. It might be, you know, 52, 52 to 50. I remember we were in the, uh, I think it was my last year. No, my, the year we won the national championship in 2000, we had three games that, uh, basically the last game changed college basketball a little bit because we played Wisconsin and Dick Bennett's teams who were just the same way. I mean, they were mm-hmm. just, I mean, you, you see Tony Bennett's team now. His dad, his dad started, <laughs> started that. So, you know, we had some battles with Wisconsin and they, you know, the final four game we played in Indianapolis in the, the first game of the final four, I think it ended up like, 53 to 47 or something like that. And all of a sudden there was this cry of too much physical play, too much, uh, uh, not enough you know, scoring, you not, know, not enough yeah. scoring, not enough freedom of movement, all these things. And <laughs> I think that's when every single year our college coaches had to watch these films about freedom of movement and, <laughs> and, and all this stuff. So that's where it evolved from. But the, those two things, the, t- the, the communication, the toughness and, and honesty. I mean, he's a guy that you could just trust. He's honest. He's straightforward. He's not going to BS guys. His coaches in- included. I mean, he's, he wasn't easy on the coaches. We used demanding of us and <laughs> it was a good thing because he helped prepare us for, things that happen for all of us down the road you know i always thought his teams um the execution level i thought i you know i, I, I always teased tom i said you're a frustrated football coach coaching basketball you know <laughs> he is you know and i i, I thought he executed he understood that football teams were good when they executed and yeah. so i thought yeah. he carried that to basketball which is Solely UB Brown too. I mean, you know, and so many of the great coaches, but it was it was all about that. And I and I always loved the way he innovated with some really cool sets every year, new right, stuff, right. and you know. And I, I, I talk about him as a learner. Right. Well, I, I I think you hit it on the nail. You know, you know. I think all of us, and you know, you just realize this after a certain amount of time, like you're always growing, and the game is evolving, and. And he's a guy that, that has always understood that and always evolved with it. And, you know, he is a guy, and I think we all do. We, we see things, we watch pro games, we watch other teams, we see teams that are successful, we watch and see what they're doing. And, um, and then, you know, it may not be exactly what they do, or it might be a tweak of what they do. And mm-hmm. I think he's very innovative of, of, of always trying to not just have something new, but something that fits his personnel. And I think that's more important than just having a new play, just, you know, you want to have something that fits what you have. And, you know, like this year, he's got a guy like Miles Bridges, who's Ooh. a multiple position guy and can do so many things. And so, you know, he's, he's looking at things that, you know, how can I put this guy in the right spot or Jared Jackson or, you know, Cassius Winston, who's, who's a, you know, a terrific passer and playmaker. So they just, um, you know, he is very innovative when it comes to that. He's not going to stay the same. He's always going to, you know, within something he does, like you may see one thing, it's going to have more than just one or two options in it, too. Yeah. So you can't get stuck on, well, hey, they're trying to do this because there's a counter to that. And I think that's good coaching when you're, you're not just locked in on one thing where guys know that, hey, if that's not there, we have option two, option three, whatever it may be. Hey, Stan, when you um, you have all the success at Michigan State, and then did Tom say to you, you're ready to have your own program and then, you know, to make the move to Kent State? How did that all evolve? Well, you know, I I think, um, you know, we talk, we had talks about that. And, um, you know, I you know, I feel like he was uh, – he felt like, hey, we, we had a really strong coaching staff. Tom Crean just left the 
two years before and uh, Brian Greger was on the staff and, and we all ended up, Mike, Mike Garland ended up becoming head coaches. Um, uh, it was more or less the right fit and the right spot for you. So the funny thing was my alma mater, that that job opened up uh, the year before, the year we won a national championship. And, and I didn't get that job. And it was kind of, you know, you, know, you always kind of want to go to your alma mater, but it didn't work out at that particular time. So then the next year, Kent State opened up and it was a good fit. Gary Waters had just left and he had done a terrific job uh, building that program up. And I inherited a very good team. Um, and, you know, with the addition of uh, a pretty good football player, Antonio <laughs> Gates, along with that team I had going back, we had a really special year. So it was uh, Kent State ended up being uh, the right spot at the right time for me. Now, uh, Jim Christian, your buddy, uh, mm-hmm. says Antonio Gates might be the best basketball player he has ever <laughs> seen. He just thinks the guy is incredible. Uh-huh. What was he like as a as a? I mean, like he felt that every time he walked on the floor, you had the best player on the floor, and especially in college, <laughs> with his size being so difficult to defend inside. He was a unique, unique kid, and I, I watched him throughout his high school career. And he actually signed and came to Michigan State and and uh, to play football. He signed with Nick Saban. No and, way. Uh, didn't play. Didn't play his first year. But uh, he would come by my office and say, Coach, I really want to play basketball. You think Coach Izzo will let me play both? And I'd say, well, it's a little more than a Coach Izzo question. That's a Coach saving question. <laughs> you need to talk with him, too. And uh, it didn't work out. He ended up transferring. So when I got the job, um, one of the uh, assistant coaches who I coached in high school, I coached him in um, I coached him in high school, and I coached him in college, and uh, Ronde Telefero, who's actually a scout now with the Pistons. And um, I hired him as my assistant. And, we were talking. He's like, hey, Coach, this is a really good player in junior college that I coached. He was his high school coach. He said, I coached him. And uh, I said, he, I think he's, you know, he's, he's looking at schools right now. And so this, I'm going to tell you a great story if, if you got time. So hey. Antonio, you got time? Yes. So I'm going to tell you absolutely. the story. So Antonio, so we, we start recruiting Antonio. So it, go, it comes down to two schools, us, Kent State, and Fresno. And Jerry Tarkini <laughs> is the coach at that time at Fresno. And I'm thinking, we got no chance to get this kid. Why are we wasting our time? <laughs> so we're recruiting Antonio, and basically we're selling on this on this deal. We're selling like, hey, you can come to Kent State. You can play football, and you can play basketball. And baseball, fo- anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> you can play football. And, and football, you know, we're okay. Well, your season will probably end right before our season starts, and you'll be able to play both, and it'll help you with, the, you know, your possibilities of playing NFL football. So he agrees, like, hey, that's the best spot. It's closer to home. I have my high school coaches here, too. So he, he agrees to come. Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story. So he he comes in. He goes to spring football. And when spring football ends, uh, the coaches decide, like, hey, we've had our team in place. Probably might not be a great idea to keep Antonio um, on the team because it might disrupt our chemistry. So Antonio was a little upset. <laughs> but... You know, I was kind of like, man, that's 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 tough because I, you know, I really thought the kid would make it. I thought it'd be good, but there was a selfish part of me was saying, man, I get Antonio the whole time. Yeah, so, you know, so that that's kind of started the situation. But I totally agree with Jim. I mean, yeah. he he was a unique basketball player. He 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 in the game of positionless basketball now oh, would yeah. be a great guy. I mean, just because he could handle the ball, he's a great passer. He could post up. 
He wasn't a three-point shooter, but somewhere around 17, 15 feet, he could really knock that down consistently. But he had a tremendous feel for the game, and he was a mismatch nightmare. And you could play him anywhere you wanted to play him because he, even though he was 6'4", 6'5", he was a 245, 250, and he was strong enough to just hold his position and smart enough how to play those guys. But he was a he was a tremendous basketball player. And, I, you know, you gave him three inches, there's no question he's an NBA player. Isn't that amazing? So Saban basically probably would still be the coach of Michigan State if he had put him on the team. <laughs> and and the irony is Kent State, if I'm not mistaken, is Saban's alma mater. Saban's alma mater, yeah. And yeah, Rafidus couldn't get the head coaching job when he applied to Kent State, was turned down for that. <laughs> still says it's one of the greatest disappointments in his life. And, and then he yeah. turns you into a great coach. By letting you have, I think that's that that's that's the backstory on that one, my friend. I'll tell you. But now, all of a sudden, you have a couple of great years there, NCAA tournaments, do really well in the tournament, and now, all of a sudden, you get a higher calling. How did did that transpire? How did my Midwest friend end up down in down by well, (laughs) calling the hogs? (laughs) Actually, actually, coach, I was only there one year. So we, we, we go 30 right. and 6. That's right. And we go to the Elite 8, and we lose to Indiana, who goes on to the Final Four. That's right. Elite and eight. so um, there was two jobs that were open that I interviewed for both of them, and I was offered both of them. So I was offered the West Virginia job. Wow. And, um, and the Arkansas job. And so I just uh, kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and honestly, it wasn't an easy decision because, one, you were – I I lived in the Midwest my whole life. I'd been in Michigan and Ohio my whole life, never really been anywhere else. And so to all of a sudden uproot my family, my kids were really young at that time, uh, to go to either place um, was difficult. And basically, I just felt at that time, you know, hey, if I'm going to go at a high level, you know, it's SEC, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just just a higher level. They had a great um, tradition and history in the past. The only thing that was troubling at that time was difficult was, I was replacing a legend, which probably was not the best idea, replacing Nolan Richardson. So I replaced Nolan. And, uh, you know, at that time, the program had had changed. Like, as soon as I got the job, one of the key recruits um, had already been released and wasn't coming to the school. That was Andre Kadarlin, which would have been a nice foundation to start. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we don't get uh, Andre. and uh, we, we We actually have to start the total rebuild. And, it actually rebuilt it pretty well. By by year three, we had a winning season. We were eighteen wins, and and year two, um, we signed a really good player in Ronnie Brewer. Uh, Ronnie Brewer's dad was a great NBA player, and Ronnie played about ten, eleven, twelve years in the NBA as well too. So we signed Ronnie Brewer, and um, by year four, we get to the NCAA tournament, and then Ronnie goes pro. So yeah. that was tough trying to replace him right away. Um, but we actually did. We actually in year coming in as a freshman, we got two really good recruits in Patrick Beverly and uh, <laughs> Sonny Weems, two NBA players. And um, we had some good big guys around them as well, too. And so year five, we go to the NCAA tournament again with 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 no seniors on the team as well. So year five, I'm thinking, hey, we got no seniors. We're getting ready to be really good and we're going to have a terrific year and we're going to really take off. And um my uh, my athletic director decided uh, he wanted to go in a different direction. <laughs> so so that was my end of my Arkansas career and pick suey. <laughs> pick suey, yes, yeah, they're hollering for the hogs there. Yeah, you know that it's 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 crazy the way things happen. And uh, 
and how you end up there, and then you, to do, I mean, think about some of those players. Oh, yeah. yeah. Patrick it's Beverly, Sonny Williams, I mean, Ronnie Brewer. I mean, geez, those are terrific kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and and so I remember then your next step, and this is and, and this is for, you know, we have thousands and thousands of men and women coaches, Stan, that are listening. And so I want them to understand that sometimes when, you know, adversity strikes, not real you know, not personal adversity, but job adversity. Uh, you can't, you got to be resilient. You got to be, have some grit. And all of you a do. sudden, you, you know, yeah. what, what's next then at that point? Well, it, it, you know, at that time it was a little shocking that it happened. Of course. And, um, you know, it uh, kind of puts you back on your heels a little bit, but uh, as you say, you know, you're, if you're competitive, you kind of also have this side of, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong, you know, so right. I'm going to, We'll figure this out. And um, fortunately, within a short amount of time, probably less than a week, uh, uh, I got hired at South Florida. And um, it it it, uh, it made the, the the situation a lot easier knowing that I was moving to Tampa, Florida, which yes. I still live in now, which is a beautiful place to live. So um, that's that kind of what helped heal and get me over it very quickly because my attention and my focus and my excitement of – uh, of coming to a, a school that was up and coming and just joined the big East and, yes. um, uh, you know, living in a great city like Tampa was, was exciting for my family and I. So, uh, you know, it was, it was short lived and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the life of a coach and you move on and you learn and you grow. You know, it, it's amazing, uh, as we go through our, our careers and stuff in the, in the, in the past that cross and stuff like that. But, you know, you have, uh, you know, you you you've been incredible in the game. You've worked with some great folks, but more importantly, you've helped a lot of great kids. And uh, and I think that's if you had to give any advice to number one, uh, a coach, an assistant coach, or someone up and coming that has a dream maybe of coaching at the highest level that they can possibly, and it might be a JUCO job, it might be a prep school head coaching job, as well as a Division three or two or one job. As an assistant or a head coach, give me some tips that you look for when you're maybe looking to put people on your staff or advice that you can in growing in our profession. Well, you know, I think one of the things I learned from from uh, Jim Laranega, who's a terrific coach at Miami, was uh, he really taught me and helped me just kind of make sure I, I look at the business side of of the sport. And and I think what he what he meant by that was it's not just about um, you know obviously learning the game and being able to coach the game, being able to recruit players, that's all important. But, but also, um, you know, just the ability to be um, just prepared, working with administrators, working with uh, presidents, being able to uh, speak to your fan base, being able to um, uh, understand the goods, the ups and downs that that are going to happen and be able to manage your team through those times when they happen. So I think, I think as much as that is, is, is just being prepared as much as you can. I mean, there's going to be things thrown at you that just, you gotta, you gotta be on the fly and you gotta make decisions, you gotta make adjustments, but as much preparation as you can have when you're in an assistant job or you're trying to get an assistant, just being ready when those things happen, um, are, are so important because it happens so fast and things change so fast. And uh, being able to adjust to the changes is, I think, so important. And, uh, you know, the one thing I, I thought that was very helpful in my experience with Tom 
and and Tom grew up uh, as as really a guy who loved to watch film, and he was actually the video guy for Judd in his earliest earliest days. You probably remember that with mm-hmm. him. And so, you know, he really was avid about you know watching film, and 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 really, as the more you watch and you see things, and um, you see the game, and, and and you you can prepare your teams, you can prepare yourself, and give yourself a little bit of an edge because, as you know, there's just so many these games when you're coaching they come down right to the wire and that little edge you may have could be the difference it could be well stan i I really appreciate you taking time today and uh you know and you know and i'm i'm so thrilled for you uh what you're doing in the g league because i think it's going to be it's a it's a great career changer for you and i think you know you're you're fit your personality is really fit for pro basketball and i mean that in a huge complimentary way because it it's a people business and uh and that's and that's the key to it, it I, sure and is. i really appreciate you sharing with uh, the coaches uh, around the world that, that are listening to this and helping them grow in the game well, Coach, thanks so much for having me on. I, I think I think you know this, but I was a huge, huge fan of yours and Chuck Daly and the Piston team. So I've uh, I've always looked up to what you do and what you've done for coaches as well. Thank thanks you. so much. I appreciate it, Stan. Thank you. And look forward to seeing you the rest of the season with the Lakeland Magic. I knew you'd enjoy that. Stan Heath is a great teacher, great coach, and great friend. And uh, I know that was something that was really exciting and and that you really enjoyed. Uh, Just as a reminder, as your coaches are getting ready for their tournament, postseason tournaments and stuff at the high school, college level, uh, remember, go to coachingyou.tv if you need any videos that might help you. Or if you're starting your off-season learning program, Go there and get re-energized with some videos to learn. I think it's always been one of my things. As soon as the season ends, I immerse myself in what our friend Kevin Neesman calls my on-season, and my on-season being of continual growth and learning. Um, Also, a reminder, as we're getting now, uh, approaching postseason basketball and the Final Four being, you know, at the very beginning of April, uh, remember... Coaching you live experience, our VIP experience, our one and only July 9 and 10 in Las Vegas. A hundred spots only are open. Please take advantage of this. We've set an all time low price for this experience. Remember, you get your videos. You're going to get a Coaching You pad folio, a Coaching You dry fit shirt. You're going to get all your meals an opportunity to network with 15 of the best speakers in the NBA. Take advantage of it. It's going to be a a week that you're never going to forget in your world of basketball. All NBA, all 30 NBA teams are going to be in Las Vegas this year with the Summer League. That's why we're focusing on our only event being there. So look forward to it. Again, this is Brendan Sarah, the coach. Till next week.